All right, thank you, um, Terry. Those songs, all of them, uh, were centered on our text today, and I appreciate that. It takes a lot of time and effort and preparation, so thank you for preparing our hearts to hear God's message preached uh, from the Scripture. So we invite you to open your Bibles to Luke 15. If you have a copy of the Bible there on your tablet, your phone, your laptop, or even here on the screen, the big screens, my name is Danny Forshee. I'm the pastor here at Great Hills, and we are delighted that you are here today. And today. Let me just add uh, what to what uh, Trey said a moment ago. We, we sincerely uh, welcome you. We're, we, we believe it's just no accident uh, that you're here today, that God brought you here for such a time as this to hear this message. And after the message today, my wife and I, we'd love to meet all of our first-time guests over here in the Welcome Center. You can grab a cup of coffee. You can hang out with us a minute. We'd love to, love to meet you. Okay, so today we finish our series of messages on what we call them uh, preaching the paintings. And over the last uh, several weeks, we have studied uh, some amazing works of art, really some masterpieces that are well-known throughout the world. And these are located in various parts of the world. And today we come to Rembrandt's The Return of the Prodigal Son. And I was just thinking again today, you know, were it not for the Lord and was it not for the Bible, we would have none of these amazing paintings that we have been studying over the last several weeks. And this one is predicated, I mean, solely built upon the teachings of Jesus in this famous parable of the prodigal son. I, I would argue that this may be uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan, maybe right up there with it, but the parable of the prodigal son may be the most well-known of all the parabolic sayings of Jesus. You say, well, what does it mean, a parable? I know Jesus, he talked a lot in story. Let me give you a good definition of a parable. You may, you may want to write this one down. I think I got this from Robert Stein's book, An Introduction to the Parables of Jesus, when he said a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning where what is true in one realm is also true in the other realm. So an earthly story with a heavenly or moral meaning where what is true in the earthly realm is also correlates and is true in, in the spiritual realm. And so Jesus was a master storyteller. And he tells this story here of the parable of the prodigal son. And I just wanna prepare your heart before I read it because you will probably see yourself in this text. Uh, you, you, you will come face to face with you. You will either see yourself as the benevolent, gracious Father God who is portrayed, by the way, in the earthly Middle Eastern father who does not wait for the son to come. He comes off of the porch and runs to him and embraces him. Perhaps you'll see yourself in the younger son, the one who contemplated leaving and then left and went and lived a life of wasteful extravagance and took his inheritance and spent it on partying and luxury and just really wasted his father's inheritance. And when he asked for this inheritance, he was basically saying, I wish you were dead. Because if you were dead, then I could go ahead and get my inheritance. And the father said, well, do you want it that bad? Here, just take it. Or you may see yourself as the elder brother. And some of you may say, well, the elder brother, he's cool, right? No, no problem with him. I would argue that the elder brother was farther away from the heart of his father than the younger brother who went to a distant land. And you'll see him here portrayed in just a moment. So I don't know 
I, I was just thinking, man, I got to prepare people before they read this story because as you read it and engage it, and as the Spirit of God speaks to you through the preaching of the Word, you're probably going to come face to face with yourself. And, and I, I just pray for you now that God would, He would speak to you. Father, I, I do. I just, I just pray now as we get into Your Word. What, a, what an amazing opportunity we have. And we just pray now, God, as You speak to us, some come today with heavy hearts and some come with jubilant hearts. And so, Lord, we just want to meet people wherever they are and love them, love them to a closer walk with you, relationship with you. Lord, I'm praying for those who are prodigals, those who have left, and those who are thinking about leaving, that, Lord, they would just stop and come to their senses and say, wait a minute, I can't leave the very source and the love of God because He, he is for me, He is not against me. And for those, Lord, that are thinking about coming home. I, I pray, Jesus, turn their, turn their heart toward you so they would come home and find in you that gracious, benevolent, wonderful God that you are. And so, Lord, we pray now as we read the text, engage in the text, that, God, you just come alive. May it come alive to us. May you speak to us profoundly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, Tim Keller, in his book, The Prodigal God, he based the whole book upon the hero of the story, and that is the Father God. You know, the word prodigal means extravagant. It means to go overboard in your spending. Like some of y'all did that, you know, just a few weeks ago with Christmas, you know, just overboard and extravagant. Now, in a negative connotation, it means the younger brother who took his father's inheritance and he spent it on harlotry and he spent it on debauchery and drunkenness. He just, he just went and lived that party in life. And so he is called the prodigal. But Tim Keller calls the father prodigal because in a positive connotation, prodigal means to give extravagantly, to not withhold, to, to just be very gracious and benevolent and to give all that you have. And that's what the earthly father does with his resources, with his love, but that's what the, also the younger brother does with his lifestyle. So Jesus said these words, a certain man had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them to his livelihood. And not many days after, these are days of decision. What will he do? Will he, he's contemplating becoming a prodigal. You, you, you just don't, you're not raised in church and you're not walking with God. And all of a sudden you go, I think I'll become a prodigal. No, there's a marination. There's a contemplation. There is this deciding moment in your heart when you say, I'm walking away from all of it. I've heard about God and my father's God and my mother's God and my sister's God and I'm, I'm tired of it and I am walking away from it. And you don't do that on happenstance. You think about that, the enemy tempts you to do that and then you leave and he left. And he took his money with him. Not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together, journeyed to a far country and there he wasted his possessions with prodigal, wasteful, extravagant living. But, conjunction, junction, watch your function. There it is. But there's always that, there's always the price. But when he had spent it all, there arose a severe famine in the land and he began to be in want. 
he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed his pigs. He would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. No one gave him anything. Not only, not only his employer didn't give him the food for pigs. He said, don't dare eat that. That's for the pigs. Mercy. But when he came to himself, that's a beautiful phrase. He came to himself. He said, oh, my word, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise, and I will go to my father, and I will say to him, watch this prepared speech, y'all. I'm going to say these words. Okay, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you am no longer worthy to be called your son, so please make me like one of your hired servants. So he arose, and he came to his father, but there's so many conjunctions, so many buts, so many interruptions, so many howevers. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, and he had splachnitzomai on him, compassion. I love that word. It means to be viscerally, bodily moved to the point that you cannot stand it anymore. You have to get involved. You have to help. You've got to reach out and do something. So this father, Middle Eastern, dignified, regal, royal father, had compassion and ran. <laughs> Only time you'll see God run is right here. He ran. He ran to his boy. He fell on his neck, and he kissed him. And the son said to him, uh-uh, remember the speech? He's prepared it. It's ready. Uh-uh, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and keep going, speech, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So hire, 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 hire me as He didn't get it out. Because the father said, enough. <laughs> Bring out, the, come on, church, I'll work. Bring out the robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand. And put sandals on his feet. And bring out the fatted calf here and let's kill it. And let us, let's party hearty and let's eat and be merry. And I'm telling you why, because my son was dead. Okay? And now he's alive again. He was lost, but now he is found, and they began to be merry. Love that. Now, the older son. He was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked, well, what, is, what does this mean? And the servant said, your brother has come. And because your father has received him safe and sound. Your father now has killed the fatted calf. But, there's so many buts here, but he was angry. And he would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So, so he answered and he said to his father, oh, wait a minute. These many years I have been serving you and I 
never transgressed your commandment at any time, liar, liar, pants on fire. You can't say that. You can't say that. I've never sinned against you, Father. I'm just as pure as the driven snow. And he's defend. Hey, listen, whenever you get into that place of defending yourself, you'll say anything. <laughs> you'll create anything because he he's angry. He's offended. And now he is defending his position. I never transgressed any of your commandments at any time. You never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, notice he didn't call him my brother. <laughs> he said, your son, that jerk, that idiot who wished you were dead. He comes home and lo and behold, if you got amnesia, father, you remember what he did? He shamed you. But he devoured all of your livelihood with harlots. And then what did you do? You killed the fatted calf for him, for heaven's sake. And then the father said, son, you're always with me and all that I have is yours. It was right that we make merry and, and be glad for your brother. Your brother. He didn't say this son of mine. He, he's your brother and he was dead and now he's alive again. And he was lost. Oh, now he's found. The, the context of this amazing text in Luke 15, 1 and 2 is Jesus is going to speak. And as he speaks, the tax collectors and the sinners, they, they just throngs of them come around him and the scribes and the Pharisees stand back at a guilty distance and they're just, their arms are crossed. There's a scowl on their face and, and Jesus is teaching and the sinners are like, man, this is awesome. This rabbi, this teacher, he actually likes us and he's teaching us the way to the kingdom. And the scribes and the Pharisees are like, no, he, he's, he's the devil himself is what they said at one point. So Jesus, he's taking it all in. You got tax collector sinners, you got scribes and Pharisees, and Jesus did this. He said, let me tell you a story. <laughs> there was a father who had two sons. One was like you, tax collectors and sinners, far from God, sinning, rebelling. And the other brother was like you, <laughs> scribes and Pharisees. And so Jesus began a trilogy of parables. And what a triumphant, amazing trilogy. Lost sheep, lost coin, lost boy. And each one of the parables increase in value of lostness. A sheep is prized and important, but it's not as much as a dowry of the headpiece, you know, that coin and the dowry of the married woman. That's more expensive than a sheep. But watch this, what's more expensive? than a human being created in the image of God. So Jesus tells a story, three stories to make his point. And his point and the main point of this parable is God is for us. God loves us. God does not want us straying, whether it's trying to stray to a distant land or straying distant in our own hearts in close proximity to him. God loves us. So that's the text. It's the parable of the prodigal son or Maybe it should be called the parable of the gracious uh, father. I was studying this. I've been studying this text um, for many, many days, many weeks. And I, and I had some thoughts come to me, and I'm going to share these, these words with you. 
It says, but there are sinners who stray and those who stay. But sinners, we all are at the end of the day. The Father pleads with all of us near and far, sons and daughters who travel to distant lands, as well as those at home connected only by brittle strands. Jesus invites all of us to look closely in the story. Are you the younger or the elder brother, or are you more like the Father in beautiful glory? Well, I have been both figures (laughs) with swift feet running from God and also slow feet angry with God, but ever so grateful for grace that God would me embrace. So my heart is strangely warmed by the Father's compassion. For me now, it is time to embrace prodigals near and far with much grace. For Jesus to paint Father God as this Middle Eastern earthly father was a a beautiful stroke of genius. He didn't do that just for his audience then. He's doing that for his audience today. Some of you here today think that God is he's he's in the distant cosmos and he's got a lightning bolt. He just just loves to zap you really good and punish you. And and, and Jesus is saying, wait wait a minute. That's not my father, God. My father, God, is this holy, awesome creator of the universe, created everything, created you in his image, and he loves you. He loves you so much and, and he knows he's separated from you and he's so holy and so just and you are so sinful and so lowly. And so what is he going to do? How is he going to reconcile the two? And so he sent me, Jesus said. That's why I came. I came out of the Father's bosom out of his heart so that I could die for your sins and rise from the dead. And and with my blood, I can pay the price for your sins. So all you have to do is say, please forgive me, God. And you can go right into the presence. That's who God is. And God is for us. He's not against us. So who, who do you relate with today? Are you the younger brother? You thought about it. Now you're acting on it. And you're gone. I know many of you, you you have prodigals in your home. Some of you have prodigal prodigals. They used to live in your home, but now they've 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 left, and they've turned their back on everything you taught them. And hey, let the, let the truth be known. Your heart is broken. Exponentialize that a million times over, and that's God's heart. His heart is broken. He loves his creation, and he wants to be in fellowship with us. So there's some some younger brothers. Then there's some older brothers. And these are the scribes and the Pharisees, and these are the ones that are, and they know so much, and they have so much knowledge about God and the law and the commandments and and the Old Testament, and they they get all of that. And yet, what what happens is, is, is this arrogance comes in. And this entitlement comes in. And this, hey, I'm offended by this. I'm upset with you because this is not the way the script goes. He left. He should be punished. And it's wrong for you to embrace him like you're doing. You need to to punish him. And you need to give me a party. Because I've done everything that you want. Now, here we go, man. He's in it now. He is... 
He is the defense attorney. He's the prosecuting attorney. He's the judge and the jury. This older brother in Rembrandt described, I mean, paints him beautifully, arms folded, hands clasped, scowl on his face. He has been offended. Have you ever been offended in church? You say, well, yeah, every Sunday, you know, every, just, you know, I get offended, you know. And what do you do with that? Hundreds. I've seen in my own life in ministry, hundreds. See you later. And others get offended and they just stay offended and stay in the same locale and proximity and with bitterness and anger, their, their hearts have drifted from God, even though their feet have not left the location. When I wrote that poem, I'm not kidding, I've been both. And the older I get, I struggle more with the older brother because I look more like him. You don't get your way, so you get mad, right, Brother Dan? Okay. What are you going to do about that? See, see, the thing about being offended and the elder brother, it's, it's so much self and it's so much pride. And when you have self and pride that dominates your life, th then, then you get offended and then you, you, you say things just like crazy things like, well, I've never done anything like that. And that older brother is you and he's me. And, and I, I would say to you and I would say to my heart, just please, please be careful with that. And, and the way to, to deal with that and the way I'm, I'm dealing with it, and I pray this prayer multiple times every week, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Because if you're humble and you're, and you're already bankrupt and broken and know that only Jesus is, is your life and your Savior, then you don't get so easily upset. And watch this. And when you do get upset, you give grace and mercy and forgiveness because self is no longer a part of the picture. So those are the three people that Jesus talks about, earthly father, younger brother, older brother. And now we come to the, the painter and the painting. So Rembrandt, he is this Baroque painter who lives in the Netherlands, used to be the Dutch, now you just call it the Netherlands, born in uh, 1606, died when he, in 1669. He died at the age of 63. He didn't paint this, by the way, until 1669, the year that he died. Because this man, he lived the life of the prodigal son. Um, Rembrandt, I'm going to show you three or four of his most famous paintings. The first one here is the Night Watch. It's in Rick's Museum in Amsterdam. And this is the most famous of all of his paintings with all the the royalty and all the politicians. Uh, Rodin, the French sculptor, said, no one should ever be compared to Rembrandt because he was the incomparable painter, the best of the best. Van Gogh, who we've talked about a few times here, Vincent Van Gogh said, quote, Rembrandt goes so deep into the mysterious that he says things for which there are no words in any language. It is with justice that they call Rembrandt the magician, and that's no easy occupation, end of quote. So I asked this question in my study, what were his greatest achievements as a painter? Be careful what you ask for. 
because I began to learn words that I can't even pronounce, and yet I'm going to share it with you. His handling of color, particularly his chiaroscuro. Ah, chiaroscuro. I worked hard on that. Thank you. Chiaroscuro means he highlighted certain parts of the painting and left the rest in darkness. And you'll, you'll see this in every one of his paintings. He highlights with beautiful, majestic color, and then he lets everything else fade out in the darkness. And that's Chiaroscuro. His most famous painting is The Night Watch. Reading about his life and especially uh, Henry Nouwen's book about Rembrandt, I... I my heart goes out to this man because he's so gifted and yet he's so wasteful. He, he got much money from his paintings and yet when he died, he had very little to his name. He was married to Saskia and they had five children. Then he had a mistress and, and, and she had a child. And when he died in 1669, of the six children that he had, only one was alive. Here he is in the prodigal son in the tavern in 1635. Rembrandt literally painted the prodigal son 30 years before he painted the painting that I'm going to show you that he's famous for. And in this picture, I want you to notice with me, just, just look at this for just a second. This is Rembrandt. This is actually his face. He painted his face. This is Saskia, his wife. This is a big brew hoo hoo hosky thing. This is a big drink of not water. You with me? That is a cold one. That is a, that is a bud, that's a big Budweiser, all right? Before there was bud. I don't know what they called it back then, but that was a big tall. He's already drank about half of it. Look at his face. Yee doggy. <laughs> Woohoo, man. Got my woman, got my hand on my woman's side. And, and it's literally called the prodigal son. He painted that. That's him. And that is him. That's his life. My favorite Rembrandt painting, besides the one I'll show you, The Return of the Prodigal Son, is this one. It's called uh, it, the, the, the Disciples on the Sea of Galilee. I hope, I hope we include. Ooh, great, thank you. We do have it. Is that not amazing? Remember the chiaroscuro, the dark, which only accentuates the, the bright and the brilliance. This amazing Baroque painter. Look, look at that. The disciples of Jesus on the Sea of Galilee when the boat is just about to be turned over. That is beautiful. Beautiful. But this next one is the one he's, he's the most famous for, at least for me. I know arguably it's the one with all the, the, the politicians, the night watch. But let, let's look at the painting, The Return of the Prodigal Son. Now, the same author, the same Rembrandt, who painted himself as that prodigal in 1635. Here he is now, or 16, yeah, 35. Here he is in the return of the prodigal son. And this today is in St. Petersburg in Russia. And as I said earlier, you do not have this scene unless you have a Bible. You with me? If there's no Jesus, there's no Rembrandt's The Return of the Prodigal Son. There's no Da Vinci's Annunciation. There's no Van Gogh still Bible. Because there's no Van Gogh, uh, the, the parable of, the, pro, of the, uh, the, good, the Good Samaritan Annunciation. So here it is. Just, when, when Henry Nouwen 
went to Russia, he got special permission to sit for five hours within a few feet of this painting and he was mesmerized, he could not move from the painting. He said, I took it in and it was, it was like my soul was just taking in liquid hydration, water. I was just so blessed as I looked at this picture. So the key figure is this man, right? This is the Middle Eastern father. He is the father of these two sons. This hand is much larger than this hand. This hand of just grace and mercy has reached out to him. Notice his head. This, this young man is I mean, that's what hard living will do to you, friends. It'll, it'll, you can pull your hair out. You don't have any more hair. You see this foot? There's no sandal. This foot's tattered. I mean, it's got a sandal on. It was very, very tattered. This clo these clothes? He left looking like this. And he came back looking like this. Hey, hey listen to this. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't prepared to tell you this, but I believe the Spirit of God wants me to tell you something right now. Because if you're thinking about becoming this guy, this is what you're going to look like when God wants you to look like this. But here's the thing. Satan won't show you this. He won't show you this. He'll just show you with a big brew husky. I don't know if that's a word, but y'all know what I'm saying. The big, the big brew and the women and the partying. The devil's like, that's what I'm talking about. That's what you need to get involved in. And forget this old fogey religious stuff, the religion of your mama and your daddy. Forget that. Nobody believes that anyhow. Go live it up. And that's the enemy. Speaks loud. And we listen many times when we just take off and then lo and behold, Sin always takes us much further than we thought it would. It always does much more damage than we ever thought it would. And, and here he is. He's back, though. He's home. And here's the father. You can't see it, but there is a beautiful expression on his face, and it's hard for me to put it into words. It's the face of, I'm finally home. Who in the world is that? Some people believe, and I studied, they think it may be his mom, his mom. We don't know. We don't know if this is a man or a woman, so I, I don't know what Rembrandt had in mind here, but this is, a, this is a person. I think it's a woman. I think it may be just one of the servants, you know, in the house. This guy, I don't know, a tax collector maybe, an auditor, an employee of, of this man, but I want to tell you something. There ain't no mistaking Ain't no mistaking who this tall drink of water is. Notice he's elevated, platform, lowly, sinful, arrogant, righteous. Notice these hands. But notice this face. Disgusted, angry, offended, judgmental upset. Notice how he's dressed and how he's dressed. Beautiful, red, regal clothing. Now here's the kiosko. Remember, see the dark? And there are two people who have the light of the countenance, and it's this man and it's this man. Isn't that cool? Not these folks, not even this guy, but it's these two. And remember he told him, he said, son, why are you upset? Everything I have is yours. I mean, you're, you're my son. But this is also my son. 
and he's come home. Let, let, let me read you some, some of the excerpts from Henry Nowen. And by the way, I highly recommend his book. He said that the, the two women standing behind the father at different distances, the seated man staring into space and looking at no one in particular, and the tall man standing erect, look at them, you'll see them all. They're looking critically at the event on the platform in front of them, and they all represent different ways of not getting involved. There is indifference, curiosity, daydreaming, and attentive observation. They're staring, gazing, watching, looking, standing in the background, leaning against an arch, sitting, on, sitting with arms crossed, standing with hands gripping each other. Every one of these inner and outer postures are all too familiar. Some are more comfortable than others, but all of them have the same thing in common. They will not get involved. Then he says these words. Both needed healing and both needed forgiveness. And this is what he's saying here. Both needed healing and forgiveness. Both needed to come home. He obviously needed to come home, right? But so did he. But both needed the embrace of a forgiving father. But from the story itself, as well as from Rembrandt's painting, it is clear that the hardest conversion to go through is the conversion of the one who stayed home. Wow. Some people believe, and I want to believe, just don't have a lot of data and factual information to believe it, but I want to, that what Rembrandt was doing in 1669 as he was approaching his death, he gave the world this masterpiece because he, he felt like that was him. He felt like he had... He had been vengeful and proud as an older brother, but he also felt like he had very much lived the life of a prodigal son, and now he's coming home. Here are some closing thoughts I have for you on this and just some points of application. We've got them in your, your bulletins there if you want to take them out and look at them. The first one I want to say is this. God really does love us that much. That much. Isn't that beautiful? God is for me. God is not against me. Henry now, and I know I'm talking about him a lot. He was a Catholic uh, priest. He was a very, very gifted author and writer. And Greg Mott at First Baptist Houston really recommended that I get this book. He knew I was preaching this series. He said, you ought to get this book. So I did. And it's, it's powerful. It's called The Return of the Prodigal Son. Henry Nowen was a professor at Yale professor of Notre Dame, and also a professor at Harvard. And he said he, he felt like he was, he was always striving to please God, and he felt like he never could measure up. And in his own words, he says, for years I had instructed my students on the different aspects of the spiritual life, trying to help them see the importance of living it. But had I, myself, really ever dared to step into the center, kneel down, and let myself be held by forgiving God. Have you? Have you? Have you ever knelt down and let yourself be embraced by forgiving God? I know that's hard for some of you as it was hard for me. Because almost every human being born pictures God the Father like their earthly father. 
And if your earthly father is full of wrath and vengefulness and he's an incredibly strict disciplinarian, then that, that was my view of God. That's, that's God, man. And I, whew, if I do good, he'll like me. If I do bad, he'll punish me. Some of your dads are abusive and harmful and hurtful. You think, well, maybe that's the way God is. But that's not God. God the Father is this eternal, awesome, creator, amazing, only true, living deity who created the world, spoke the world and the universe, created you, loves you, sent his son Jesus to die for you. He wants to embrace you. But here's the thing. Here's the thing we got to do. We have to kneel in his presence and feel the warm embrace of a loving heavenly father. Number two, a life of a prodigal pleasure. He scintillates, pleasure scintillates him and then sorely disappoints. Hebrews eleven twenty five says, sin's pleasures are passing. And there's a temptation. Isn't it a valid temptation to leave what you know and go in search of something new, maybe a different lifestyle? Maybe it's just what you need. You just need to get away from this religion and just go and party and live that life. And, I, and I'm sorry, I know many, many have told me they're children. And you're up in years and you're in your 60s and your 70s and your heart has been broken over a, over a child. You, they weren't raised that way, but they went and they lived that life. Let, let me share this with you. Don't give up on them. Don't give up on them. You keep praying, you keep investing in them, you keep in contact with them, you keep loving them, you keep being the Father God's heart to them. Third thing I want to share with you is the sin of offense enslaves many a religious people. And in my notes here, I say, read this. I have to talk to myself, y'all. I have to tell myself, read this. So I'm supposed to read this. Please avoid at all costs the sin of offense. It's not sinful to be disappointed or hurt. The problem comes when you don't forgive and move on. Those who are easily offended stay offended. They have too much self and too much pride. The last thing I would share with you is come on back. Come back to God. You know, I had somebody tell me something one time. Oh, I didn't like it when I first heard it. I got offended. And the reason I got offended is because it ate my lunch. It, it nailed me like, Ouch. I don't recommend you do that, by the way. That hurts. These things are heavy. He said, you know, have you ever felt like there's a distance between you and God? Guess who moved? <laughs> I was like, oh. I did. Here's, here's the thing. I, I want to close with this. And as we as we leave our preaching of the paintings and as we move on now to our state of the church next week and we move into the book of Acts, I just, I just pray that as, as God revealed himself to you and if you see yourself as the younger brother, come on home. If you see yourself as the elder brother, just come on home and just come. And I'm going to pray for you right now. Let, let's pray together. And we, we'll have our invitation and we'll make a few announcements. We'll take up our offering and we need to take up an offering. 
And we need to give and be generous. But before all of that, I, I just pray that, Father God, as you have revealed yourself through your amazing teaching and your parable of the prodigal son, Jesus, that you gave us, your amazing discourse on life and home and community and sin and restoration, all those things tied up in this amazing story. Lord, thank you that we have been exposed, that God, our hearts have been revealed and we are one of those three. We are like you and generous and forgiving and kind, or we're not like you. We're rebellious, we're far from you, or we're offended and we're arrogant and far from you. So Lord, I'm just praying that you would do, God, what only you can do, that you would break people's hearts and you would cause conviction of sin and there would be repentance and restoration and there would be life and there would be hope, God, and there would be joy. And so, Lord, we pray that you would do what only you can do. And as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, some of you, I really want to encourage you to do this. Take a step. Take a step toward God. There is a great call and a pulling on your life to step away from home, step away from your church, step away from all that you know is right. I'm pleading with you, you have a choice. Step toward the King, step toward God. Maybe you're here today and you know him and you wanna serve him and live for him, then hallelujah, take a, take a next step toward obedience and get plugged in here somehow, some way and be discipled and grow and serve. And some of you need to take a step of, and it's a big thing because you're like, I need him, I need a home, I need a community of faith. And Great Hills Baptist Church, and that's where God is leading me and my family, and I want to come and I want to be a part because this is a place where there's grace, there's the teaching of the Word of God with grace and truth, and there are people here that would love me, and, and this is a place I can, get, I can get plugged in. So why don't you do that? Why don't you take that step toward the Lord today? So Father, we, we're just grateful, grateful for your presence, grateful for your Word, and we pray now that you would have your way in our invitation. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you stand to your feet. Stand up, stretch out. What a great song we're gonna sing about God's amazing reckless love. And if you're here today and you wanna make that decision for the Lord, but when he came to his senses, <laughs> he turned around and he went home. And we welcome you now, even now. God bless you as you come.